Welcome back to the Spacemakers podcast, a podcast started by seven friends around the world who met through their international church, the ICOC, about navigating and pointing out toxic church culture. If you're new here, or even if you just haven't listened to every episode front to back, just wanted to let you know that we did change a lot from our first episode to now. A lot of us, for many reasons, including personal reasons and reasons pertaining to the backlash we got from speaking up, have since left the church. If you're not following us on social media, we recently posted a video kind of explaining this shift that we had. We started off really tiptoeing in order to be heard because we genuinely wanted to fight within the church to help change things that were hurting and bothering us and so many others. But as we are now ending our podcast, we have seen so much of the reaction that many leaders around the world had just to the fact that we were speaking in the first place. And as we grew and learned a lot, we are now in this place where we are not needing to tiptoe. We are simply interested in making space for marginalized voices and ideas and calling out just harmful church practices and not really caring anymore if that makes people mad. This is the first episode in our LGBTQIA series. Sebastian, who has come out on this podcast as gay um, earlier in, I think, season one, um, is finally going to actually share what that means for him and his story and his thoughts. That, that'll be the episode next week. But we're also going to be discussing where we are as space makers with this issue, in case you're curious, as well as providing a bit of insight on different biblical stances on this particular topic. But before we covered all that, we just wanted to start out by sharing some stories with you. Before we get into the biblical debate and discussion, and definitely before you hear our thoughts on this issue, we wanted to start by platforming queer voices. And we will talk a little bit about why we felt the need to make this series in the first place. Um, I think we'll cover that in episode three, but hopefully after hearing all these stories, you will already understand why. We asked a few people from the LGBTQIA community with different backgrounds, sexualities, gender identities to share a bit with you about their experiences being queer in the International Churches of Christ, the ICOC. And here's the part in the podcast where I normally give you guys their qualifications. And I try to explain to you why we chose these guests that we chose. And I try in the nicest way possible to ask you to listen. And honestly, at this point, I just hate that I have to do that. I hate that I feel like I have to get on this mic to tell you guys that these are good people, that I know a lot of them, and that a lot of them are my dear friends, and how I think their experiences are valid, and that church members are not, Christians are not, living quote-unquote the gay lifestyle or not. Their stories are not only worth hearing, but they are vital. We're not trying to force anything on anyone or make you guys agree with anything said here. These are simply real stories of real people with real pain. And I just hope that that's enough for you to care enough to listen with empathy for your fellow humans who you claim to love like Jesus. We're also going to be releasing a director's cut of this episode, which is about 40 minutes longer, and that will be available on our website. I also wanted to make sure to give everyone a trigger warning. There's some really heavy stuff in this episode. 
There's happy stuff too, but there is just a lot of pain that might be hard to hear. And while we at Spacemakers always say that something being uncomfortable or different shouldn't be an excuse not to hear someone's experiences or their pain, we do know that this content can be a lot depending on where you're at mentally, so that's why we're giving you the trigger warning. If you hear any terms that you are unfamiliar with, we would like to remind you that Google is free. (laughs) And though we will cover some basics later on in the series, We will have so many resources and beginner's crash courses linked in our description and on our website. This episode is what I wish I'd heard years ago. It's what I wish I could go back in time and give my friends when they were scared and hiding. Because let's once again address the elephant in the room. I don't know about all of you, but the experience of every single one of us space makers is that We've only really heard one single perspective on this topic. Basically, from one man with one narrative. But last I checked, Christianity wasn't supposed to be following one single man on anything except Jesus. So if you're listening to this, you know, chances are you've heard the one single narrative. So here's 10 more. This is Age Slayton. Elena Karras. This is Margie. Before this, I will remain anonymous. My name is Jojo Diaz. This is Celine. This is Daniel Sprague. I identify as non-binary and gay, and I use they-them pronouns. Hello, my name is Mark Cooper. I'm 31 years old, and my pronouns are he, him. My name is Les. Um, my pronouns are any and all. Um, I tend to go more so by they, them. I am non-binary, specifically gender fluid, and I am gay. Since like a very young age, I had always known that there was something about me that was different from other people in my age group, but I couldn't really figure out what it was. I just felt, oh, maybe it's because I, I never learned how to do the girly things that they do, or maybe it's because I have a bunch of older brothers, and so... Maybe that's why I'm like this. I didn't have the language to understand that that I didn't identify with the gender that I was always being told that I was. Um, I always knew there was something different about me. It's actually funny because the churches and my parents' like intense puritanical views on sex and sexuality actually gave me an out for years and years. I was a model for my preteens and teens because I never really struggled looking at girls because I had absolutely no interest in doing so. I realized that I was gay when I was around 14 going into my freshman year of high school. It was a pretty easy realization for me. Like once I kind of realized that I was attracted to men, I was like, okay, I'm gay. Like that's it. Like it was, um, I know a lot of people have had a lot of sort of dissonance and like weren't sure and denial though that but I knew pretty early on. I actually knew that I was non-binary before I joined the ICOC. After I left the church I learned that I am asexual and aromantic. Because of this I also believed at the time of my joining that I was pansexual. When I joined the ICOC 
I learned that I could only be part of the group if I also believed that those parts of myself were sinful. At a place in my life where I desperately needed a peer group, I decided to push my beliefs to the back of my mind, accept as sin what they told me was sin, and present as a straight cis woman. For me, my experience with coming to my understanding of being gay and then my understanding of my gender uh, were two completely different um, stories, I guess. I knew that I had an attraction to women and I think for me, I just was like, oh no, like they're just a friend or like, oh no, like... I really try to downplay my experience a lot. When I came into the church, I was already someone who was pretty affirming um, of myself and of other people. And because I came into the church and started studying when I was in a point of crisis, they were able, the people who were studying with me were able to get my (laughs) mind off. Like I would ask about about what the church's stance was on homosexuality and really and and that kind of stuff and they were like oh that's not necessary for salvation it's not a salvation topic so we don't have to talk about it so i grew up evangelical and i already had it sort of in my mind that being queer was a step above or below murder like it was murder and then being queer and so i already had a sense that something inside of me wasn't quite right and that that was a really bad thing. And so if you fast forward all the way to meeting people in the ICOC and studying the Bible, when I studied, I did confess it. Actually, when they studied the Bible with me, they asked me, you know, where do you think you are spiritually? And my response very sincerely was that I was going straight to hell and I knew it because I didn't know much about the Bible But what I did know, I wasn't following. And so um, we studied the Bible. I talked about the girl that I, she was basically my girlfriend. We weren't really public. It was was, um, the mid-90s, so it was not okay still. Um, We were one way with our friends and a different way when we were alone. And um, so I confessed that and... I just sort of stuffed it. When I was becoming a disciple, I was studying the Bible with two men who were my team leaders at the time. And they were wonderful, great men that I still had a deep love for. And their advice was that I should keep it secret. I shouldn't tell people that I was attracted to men. I should be very hush-hush about it uh, for the sake of my safety. Which caused a great discord in myself because I didn't want to lie and I wanted to live authentically. I felt like that's what I was reading in scripture. That's how Jesus wanted me to live. That's how God wanted me to live. But I felt like I wasn't given access to that. I didn't know how to handle myself. And I think a lot of it came down to just not knowing myself. Um, in regards to being gender fluid, um, my experience realizing that honestly really started when the topic of gender roles came up. And they would talk about in the church of like men's roles, women's roles. And for me, I just sat there and I was like, I don't understand. Like I can be any and all of these gender roles. I don't understand like what it means to be a woman or what it means to be a man. Cause for me, it was just such a fluid experience. I really kind of just was in denial the whole time. I just told myself basically that like, I don't 
need to think about my life in the future. Like I will deal with that when it comes. All I have control over is what I do right now because the idea of never being able to love, never being able to be in like a real relationship, never, or, you know, if I had to then force myself to marry a woman and feel content with that heterosexual lifestyle. And I never felt like that was something that I could really see myself doing. I couldn't imagine it. It was almost inconceivable to me. And I threw myself into my schoolwork and I threw myself into being as active in the church as I could be, hoping that maybe my action and my leadership would offset some of the like just deep, deep pain that I felt. And I think whenever I let myself think about it, it was just this crushing, deep pain. I remember thinking like laying awake at night, crying about the idea that I would never be able to date. I would never have a boyfriend. I would just have to either force myself to marry a woman or remain celibate for the rest of my life. Um, I think in the moments that I even allowed myself to consider that, it was almost too painful to think about. So I'm 47 and suppressing who you are for 25 years has consequences. And um, I had basically become the anti-LGBTQ mom. I was very, you know, when I became a disciple, I would not listen to anyone that was publicly out that was a musician. I wouldn't watch shows with queer people, books. And I did the same thing to my kids. I was very worried if they had queer friends because I was taught to believe that it would influence them to be queer, which is so funny because I had no representation. I didn't watch anyone. There were no queer people for me to learn from. And I was still queer. I was not influenced by TV or people or movies. It's just who I am. And so, but I had it in my head that my kids would be, would be influenced. So I didn't want them to have queer friends. I didn't want them to do any of that. Never heard anyone preach about being queer or share any experiences we only ever had the conversations of being gay and queer wasn't how God designed us. I heard that classic love the sinner, hate the sin kind of conversation. But as a young person, when you're told that this like integral part of who you are is sin, it just makes you learn to hate yourself. For me, it really taught me to like hide this part of myself so that no one could ever know or no one could ever hate me or I just didn't ever want to be in that conversation of love the sin or hate the sin. For me, I was like, oh, that's not about me. That can't be about me. And it turned into a lot of self-hatred for me that I was not allowed to be myself, that God would not accept me for who I was naturally. Therefore, I had to keep working on and changing myself. My first like core memory, I guess, of... Um, the church talking about LGBTQ plus people was when I was in eighth grade, Guy Hammond came to the Dallas church in Texas um, to have a like Saturday conference about LGBTQ or whatever his ministry is called. Honestly, it was something that was really ignored when I was growing up, not until the rise of um, the strength and weakness ministry was it really addressed in the church because gay people weren't pursued by the church. 
um, and were just seen as lost. Uh, my freshman year of college, Guy Hammond came to um, my church uh, and spoke, and immediately, like, all the alarm bells started going off. Um, and I was like, okay, now I guess I have to, like, start to address this, even though I had known for years and years um, that, obviously, yeah, I was a gay guy. Guy Hammond was kind of the pillar of the church when it came to gay and queer concepts. And I think for me, I took whatever he said as law for all gay or queer individuals. Guy Hammond talking about how, um, oh, you know, it's, it's not a sin to have these feelings or have these thoughts, but it's a sin when you act on it. And him saying same-sex attracted, um, instead of saying gay or queer or lesbian or anything like that really bothered me when I was 13. So I hid my sexuality until I was 18. Um, and then I came out to close friends and my parents. Uh, most were on board, um, but everyone insisted I join Guy's ministry. I absolutely refused. Um, even though I remained a member of the church for years and years after, um, and, but every time I would come out, they would say, oh, have you heard of this dude, Guy Hammond? Um, and I would just politely respond that I did, uh, but that I didn't agree with his message. I think just seeing someone who seemingly had to give up so much, like I remember when he was talking about like how he wouldn't go into the, the men's locker room at the gym and, you know, he, he married this woman because he had prayed enough or whatever it was, like, it just felt like to me that he had to give up so much. It's very clear that people in the church, even if they don't want to admit it, and I think a lot of people would refuse to admit it, but it was very clear to me as a young queer person that, pe that people viewed queer people as lesser than them. There were plenty of jokes. There was, you know, it's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Um, there were lots of people in leadership talking about how you know, the legalization of gay marriage or the acceptance of queer people into mainstream society was a um, clear example of the sinful depravity of what the world has come to. And I think all of those messages painted a really clear picture in my mind that, like, this was something that was, like, wrong and dirty. And even if they told me that, like, oh, like, we love gay people, is the very, like, the love the sinner, hate the sin. Um, and I think they used that to get around this idea of, like, being... They didn't want to believe that they were homophobic, that they were hateful. The message that I received was that while God can wash away all your sins, there is a permanent scar left by homosexuality that you must avoid at all costs. I remember being at uh, church camp one summer, and it was probably my junior year of high school, and I was with all the other junior men. These are the guys who I'd been going to camp with since I was in sixth grade uh, from several states. I was so, so deeply close to these men, and it was the first time we were in the group, and we're sharing about our sins, and everybody's talking about sexual sin, because that's all young boys ever talk about in the church. And I had mentioned that I was attracted to men, and one person just looked at me and said, that faggot shit is disgusting. Um... I don't know if he had any repercussions, but what happened to me was I was no longer allowed to attend the group, and I had to have one-on-one -on -one D time with my camp counselor instead. 
I was maybe a sophomore in high school when I had my first like secret girlfriend. And for a while, it made me feel really good. It made me feel incredible, so happy. I felt really seen with her. Um, there was a lot of things that that relationship did for me in terms of just affirming me as an individual and telling me like, it's perfectly okay to be how you are and you're able to be loved for this. In my heart, I really did know that there was nothing wrong. I, I remember feeling that so clearly, just being like, I feel good. This feels good. There's, I, when you're sinning, you know what it feels like. You know, you have something like when you're doing something wrong, it, you, if you feel wrong. Um, but I just felt so much shame about this. Um, so I ended up just like deciding to tell my mentor who had led the teen ministry at the time. I told her that I was gay. I told her I was bisexual. Um, and that I needed some advice on navigating my relationship and my relationship with God. It was a tough thing for me to like come to her with. And I will never forget that when I told her, she looked so shocked, she paused and said she had no idea what to say to me. I had never seen this woman have no idea what to say a day in my life up in this point. She asked me if she could go and get advice from the women's ministry leader. I told her, yeah, that she could. Um, but after that, we never talked about it again. I don't know what advice she got. I don't know what happened, but we never spoke of that ever again. It's just something that I will never forget. I, I came to her. I trusted her. I want to talk about it. That moment taught me, like, your needs cannot be met here. So, like, after my best friend came out whenever we were 16, um, it was, like, people who followed them on social media. Um, I remember my teen leader came and talked to me and just kind of, like, warned me about being too close with people like that or... Um, you know, the the constant being yoked with non-believers and like, if that, like how, not how could I, but like, be careful, like who I choose to spend my time with and like those kinds of ideas. So even though I myself had not come out or had not realized that I was queer, I was still being like, I guess, warned against those ideas. Um, and I think I was looked at differently for having someone who was my best friend um, who was queer. And that also rubbed me the wrong way as a teenager um, who was in the church. One thing that I very clearly remember that I will always remember this moment, I was at um, a summer camp, um, Hope for Kids, in the summer after my junior year of high school. So I was 17 at the time. Um, and I remember we were doing this activity. They separated um, the men and the women for this activity, which every time they did that, I knew it was about to be something deeply traumatic to me. Um, they had us go down to the riverside and they were like, all right, here's an ax and here are a bunch of logs of wood. And they were basically like, um, and so there were like maybe 40 or 50 guys there. Um, and they said, okay, so what we're going to have you do is we're going to have you write on the log something that is holding you back from being a true man of God. And then we're going to have you take this axe and swing it and break the log to symbolize 
you know, your freedom from that struggle or sin or whatever. And this was pretty much my worst nightmare because I looked at the log and literally the only thing that I could think of was that I'm gay. And that was the thing that was holding me back more than anything. And I was a scrawny kid, not particularly strong. I did not like weapons. I did not like sharp things. I did not like being forced to hold this axe. I was scared of it. And then having dozens of just like men shouting at me, shouting to like do this thing, I was nearly in tears. And I basically picked up the axe and I was like, I just need to do this so I can get this over with. And it was just this like, horrifying just display of like toxic masculinity at its finest. But yeah, so that was definitely one instance that I remember as being like particularly traumatic as like being gay is this thing that I need to overcome and to be a man, but that didn't feel good or right to me. And I, you know, finally split the log and then ran off crying. Over time, it just like became apparent to me that the leaders had no true desire to help me navigate this difficult topic. They only wanted to suppress this part of me. If anything, I felt like they wanted to turn me into their success story. I did a few different internships and leadership programs where if ever I had disclosed to someone that I was bisexual or that you know, at the time we would say, oh, that I struggled with same-sex attraction. Uh, they were like, wow, you should, you should really talk about this. You should, you should talk about your struggle and how you overcome it and how you are the way that you are today. And I never wanted to talk about it. I actually never did. There was a time on, a, on an internship where I was really pressured to talk about how I overcame this. And it felt so wrong because I was like, I didn't overcome this. I am this. And it made me so sick to my stomach to think that it was something that I had to overcome. You were supported when you chose to deny yourself and to not be queer, that you were praised by like, wow, like you're gay, but you're abstaining. That's incredible. Or you were affirmed to not affirm yourself. In a lot of ways, my friendships with women were my safe haven. I felt this ease and comfort with them that I never felt with any of the straight men that I was expected to be friends with. But this was really difficult because those relationships were sort of inherently sexualized. There was this expectation that like men and women should never be left alone together. And so that means like, ironically, it was totally fine for me to be left alone with men or boys who I very well could have been attracted to, but it was completely forbidden for me to be left alone with a girl who was even one of my closest friends, even with no potential for any sexual temptation to occur. Through that, it felt like everything that I did was some form of conversion therapy. It was always, how do you force yourself to find that one girl? You're going to keep going on encouragement dates so that maybe one day a spark will hit. And I'll, I'll always remember, I was, I was 20 years old, or maybe 21 years old, right around there. And I was in the campus ministry, and I thought there was this girl that I really, really liked, and things were going to work. It was, it was the only girl that I thought I had ever had feelings for. And one day, I went to the grocery store after she told me she didn't have feelings for me. And I thought I was broken up about it. I went to the grocery store that same day, and the guy who was putting my groceries in my bag, 
he was so cute. And by the time I walked to my car, I had already fantasized this whole idea of being married to this man. And I realized in a 30-second interaction with somebody at the grocery store, I had stronger feelings than I had ever had for a woman. And it was at that point that I recognized, I don't think I can ever exist in this church because I'll never be able to be with a woman the way that they want me to. It's just not how my body works. Um, I was at this summer camp for five weeks. Um, It was like the leadership academy sort of thing. And there was another person there who pretty quickly, like about a week in, um, we kind of realized that both of us were gay and we had never experienced um, meeting someone who was like part of this church and who shared the same struggle before, which, um, and so we got really, really close, like very, very quickly, like probably one of the fastest like friendships that I've ever had, even to this day in my life. Um, you know, we started hanging out like literally all the time. I remember we would sneak out of the cabin and talk until 3, 4 a.m. and then sneak back in. Um, I think like looking back now, like I realized that I had really intense feelings for this person as someone who could relate to me. And I think, you know, over time, other people started to pick up on this, that we were really, really close. And, you know, I mean, neither of us was certainly that great at hiding that we weren't like the other boys, you know? Um, So I think people started talking. I remember one time there was some kid who spread a rumor that they saw us kissing on the bridge, um, which was definitely not true. Um, I remember other times, you know, people telling us like, oh, you need to stop hanging out so much with each other. Like you need to separate um, more because like you are potentially leading yourself into this really dark temptation. Um, I remember another girl who literally came up to us one time um, and said, wow, you two would make such a cute couple, you know, if homosexuality wasn't a sin. I am not compatible with the pressure to conform, so living out my identity instead led to the feelings of alienation and distinct otherness. I have a lot of difficulty relating to women, so I never felt comfortable in groups of women, but I rarely felt accepted into groups of men. As I started realizing that I was queer um, in my, like, 18, 19, 20, after I had left the church, you know, um... It, it just kind of made me, like, doubt myself because while, you know, outside of the church, being queer is more widely accepted than it was. Um, but I, I still think it's it's something that is not easy. Like, it is easier to be in a heterosexual relationship or to be cisgender or something like that. I think that you spent so many years investing and spending energy and not being able to be open and then to hit 47 and look back and feel like you were disassociated from yourself for so long. There's a lot of regret in that. And I don't want anyone to ever have to feel that way about themselves ever. Because if I was honest, I didn't want anyone to join the church if it meant they had to stop living their truth. This feeling was particularly odd because it was paired with the teaching that if we didn't reach out to them, 
they would go to hell. Or at the very least, never be true Christians. So I think in high school, when I was most deep in this, I had just a ridiculous amount of cognitive dissonance. I think I believed everything very, very strongly. I believed 100% of what the church taught me, um, and I pushed it on other people. I led the Bible discussion um, at my high school. I was a big leader in the church. Um, I led worship teams and everything. Um, I was, like, very deep in it. And I I think, you know, looking back, it's hard for me to see why I believed all of that so strongly. But I think, I don't know, I think I had to. I couldn't let myself question it. I never really allow myself to really question it because I think if I started to question it, if it started to unravel, then it felt like my entire life would fall apart. My whole community, everything that I knew, everything that I felt was right or believed about the world would just fall apart. You know, I was a child, a preteen, a teenager who needed a safe place to fully be myself. I thought about this for a long time and what really hits me is the Jesus they preach so much about would have welcomed me, loved me, and embraced me. The church made me feel like I had to hide in order to be loved. But I asked my teen leader if there was someone who was gay and a Christian, and they followed all the rules about purity, about not having sex before marriage, and let's say they went on to marry another man or something. Like, would that still be a sin if they followed all the other rules and got married and waited to have sex until they got married? And I remember her saying yes. And I just like, I could not wrap my head around that being a sin. I've been able to talk to other 40-year-olds that are coming out. I believe there are a lot of people in my age group you know, 30s and 40s that definitely haven't been able to completely be open with themselves about who they are. I was really grateful to have friends who were starting to study out affirming theology before me that I kind of could follow uh, footsteps in. Well, when I started, I kind of came in on the heels of really digging into the gender roles. And I never believed that a woman wouldn't be allowed to do the same thing a man was allowed to do. I mean, I felt like women should be able to be evangelists. And I that didn't go over so well, um, ever. But I just never stopped believing that. And I was finally able to have access to resources and to people that really helped me grab a greater understanding of what that meant in the Bible. And so... Coming to terms with my sexuality came right on the heels of that. But this question is so important because if we see God through the lens of love, if we see God through the lens of, I want to reconcile everyone to me, if we see God through that lens, then we see a God who desires for us to love Him wholly. Our whole selves gets to love God, and that includes our queerness. And I think that that evolved into me seeing and understanding that when we don't completely know ourselves, we can't really completely understand God. I wouldn't want my children 
to keep a part of themselves from me because they were afraid of my reaction. And I realized that the kind of God that I had created in my life was an abusive God, a God who I couldn't really present myself to because he wouldn't be happy, but he already knew me anyway, so he must not be happy with me. There was no room for anyone who thought differently from Guy Hammond or whatever kind of... I think it's it, it was all based on leaders, you know? Um, but at the end of the day, we were all a liability to the leaders and... Yeah, I think if you did anything that would jeopardize where a leader stood with the church, I think that put you at risk and of being blackballed and being pushed out if you didn't leave on your own accord. They would say that doubt was encouraged. They would say that exploration was encouraged. When it came down to it, if you disagreed with anything that the church said, then you were expected to read your Bible again. You were expected to study the Bible again. You were expected to rethink about it, talk to other leaders in the church until you came to the same conclusion that they believed or you left. Those were the only options. I made a podcast with other women about, you know, gender equality and stuff like that and women, whatever. Like, I think, like, what making the Made for Mutuality podcast really taught me was that this issue of gender equality and within the Bible really opens up the door for the LGBTQIA conversation. And I think that's why a lot of people shut down the gender equality slash mutuality um, slash egalitarian, whatever you want to call it, conversation. I had spent so many years studying out the exegesis of homosexuality what was said in the bible what truly was said what are they actually trying to teach back then and the conclusion that i reached thankfully with the help of my dad my dad actually completely turned it around and became my biggest advocate and supporter he's my best friend today um when we looked at the bible we would see a couple scriptures that would bring up a couple words that sure maybe could be translated to mean homosexuality but we knew that when we read the Bible, we get a general idea of what they're trying to teach and then we follow our gut. That's the whole point of the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit now. How do we let the Holy Spirit guide on a matter where Jesus never directly taught on it? So we looked into Jesus's teachings. When I was reading the Sermon on the Mount for the 150th time, something finally hit me. When Jesus was teaching, he wasn't teaching, don't do the action. He always said, you've heard it's been said, don't do this action. But I tell you, examine the heart. Look at the heart behind why you're doing this action and recognize whether you're hurting people or bringing them joy. That is the beauty of this world. That is love. That is God. Um, And I truly started to see it in everything that Jesus did. Everything Jesus did was tearing down these simple-minded Pharisees who said, this is the tradition, this is the way it must be done, and saying, no, that is not how it's supposed to be done. God doesn't care if one time somebody did this, so now forever you do this. No, he cares that you use your wisdom and guidance to understand if something has beauty in it and joy in it. And can it exist in this world creating that? That's why he gave us the Holy Spirit, to guide our decision-making. 
And I think eventually it led me to a place where I realized that these people don't want to change. Um, there are some people who want to change, and I think those people were receptive to space makers, to major mutuality, to WAMP. Um, but everyone else, they clearly just wanted us to kind of go away. And I'm fine with going away. When I made this discovery for myself, I felt like I had to share it. I felt like this was the truth in the Bible, and I needed to figure out how to get that information to people like Guy Hammond, who had major pull. Guy Hammond and I were close for many, many years, and I remember sitting down with him and a few other people to discuss the idea of even just using the word gay. I wanted to destigmatize the word gay in the church. We always say same-sex attracted, but how are we supposed to reach out and meet people if we're not using the same language as them? It doesn't make that big of a difference in my mind. I was met with such a harsh wall of no. I was told, I'm not gay, you're not gay, we are actively fighting against that. If we're not representing the church, I don't care what you call me, but so long as we're here, that is not the language you would use. It was at this point I recognized that I was not going to make it in this church. I wanted to do everything I could to make it work. I wanted to change the church's mind on homosexuality because I don't believe there's anything sinful in it. And I didn't want to lose my community. I believed in the things the church was doing. It's not as, as black and white as I had once believed it to be. It really is gray. There really is room in there. And the room in there can create love. It's not so black and white. It's not so confined to this tiny little space. It's like we just take God and we want to shove him in this book. But what I realized is there is gray in these scriptures. And it is enough to understand that there is room for love. And I, I have absolutely landed in a completely affirming space at this point, which is very different from my upbringing it's different from my mom and what she believes. It's different from um, what a lot of friends that I have believe. But I also have this community that has grown where I have Christians around me that are affirming. And becoming comfortable with being around people of varying belief systems is new, but I think it's so important. I don't need the person next to me to agree with me, to be able to say, okay, well, you're a Christian going through your own journey, and I can respect that. When I left, it was extremely rapid progression of I lost the entire community that I grew up with, um, people that I was best friends with for years. Um, after that point, I still have not talked to them to this day. Um, and I think that really goes to show how fragile that community really is, like how much... They, they would say that we were the only people, we are the only people who will love you unconditionally. But the moment my beliefs differed, the moment that I chose to live a life that they didn't approve of, those relationships were instantly disappeared. And I realized that like, I don't want this unconditional love. I don't believe in this unconditional love because what you're saying is you don't love me for who I am. You love me despite who I am. And that doesn't feel like real love at all because then what are you loving you're loving the abstract concept of me you're not loving me as the full person that i am so i was raised in an era uh, um that where we were told hey this this journey in the icoc is the one true path nobody makes it to heaven unless you're here in the seats in our church 
Um, I know they've gotten away from that um, in recent years. Um, but when I left, I kind of lost my faith. It kind of died. Um, and it, because that's when that was drilled into me. So when I walked away, uh, it, it was like, okay, if you're not choosing to be here, you're choosing to be in the world. You're choosing to be a sinner. Um, and so that's kind of how it got there. I mean, it's sad to think of, but yeah, that's, that's where I ended up. Um, which is why when I left, I, I left my faith behind entirely. Um, when you're told there's no way, but this one, and you reject that one, then you have the freedom to choose to live your life however you want. So I found myself a husband and I'm happier than I've ever been. Um, happier than I ever was under the impressive, oppressive regime of the church and its restrictive teachings. Um, and that's cause that's really how I felt. I felt, um, restricted. I felt oppressed. When I left the church, I was immediately exiled. I don't know what things were going on inside the church, but somehow everyone knew to no longer contact me. The rest of my family did not have the same experience. Um, my parents and my brothers had still kept a number of close friends. But when I would reach out to people, um, when I would reach out to the closest of friends with texts saying, I love you and I miss you and I'm praying for you um, and I hope you're well, I received nothing in return. And I still love and miss those people very, very much. And it hurts so much because I want to believe that they still love me and that they're being held back. But I don't know that they ever loved me because when I was in my greatest time of need um and i was alone in the world and i just wanted to be able to love um they completely cast me aside i think this was also really really hard when i was trying to have conversations with people after i had left the church because i would come back to people in the church and i would say i like my experience in the church was homophobic like there were so many t instances where I felt lesser than because I was gay, where I was um, suppressed, and that that left me with like deeply traumatic scars. And I tried having this conversation with multiple people, and without fail, they would come back to me and they would say, "The church is not homophobic. What are you talking about? Like, I disagree with you. The church loves gay people and accepts and affirms gay people." Those churches would say, "Come worship with us. Absolutely." We just, you can't be a member, and we probably won't consider you a Christian if you're living what they call a queer lifestyle. But you can be queer. You just can't live a life of queerness. Because, honestly, because it's just the theology is violent, and it's okay for them. It's, it's become love. Violence has become love. It's okay to be othering because that's how we've determined we need to take a stand against the world and show the world that we love God by othering people. Which I find very interesting because we just had Easter. And Easter is all about how Jesus was crucified because of a corrupt government and a prideful, corrupt religious system. Jesus was all about not othering people. And I think that we start to think that we are Jesus when we say, well, I'm going to be like Jesus and tell people that they need to not sin. And I'm going to tell them they can't live in certain lifestyles and then decide that queerness is going to be at the top of that scale, which is exactly why when I was growing up, 
even as a young adult, it was murder and then queerness because we treat it differently. I don't care how many times people in the ICOC or any other Christian ideology say that that queerness is not the sin, it's acting on it. It doesn't matter. You are deciding to be othering and you are deciding to scale sin. And I I don't think that would be who Jesus would be with. Um, I think a big part of my worldview today is just to view everything really nuanced. I think the church really pushed that everything was so black and white. And the older I get, the more I realize that nothing, nothing in this world is black and white and everything is more complicated than it seems. And so, you know, I'm, I don't think I will ever find myself in a situation where I am completely blindly following something. Um, I think I view things in a much more nuanced and measured way. I think I'm really able to see different perspectives and different uh, on things because I've had this experience of basically having to deconstruct my entire worldview and rebuild it based on my new life experiences. I also give myself a lot of compassion to say that I don't, I think the church really pushed that like you have to have everything figured out right now at 13 you made the biggest commitment of your life that you're going to devote the rest of your life to Jesus and all of the expectations that come with that. But that's not how life works. And there's a lot of beauty in just allowing yourself to live life and make mistakes and just see just the diversity and everything that this world and this life has to offer. When I was able to see on TikTok, actually, people... um, kind of like arguing with the harmful ideology surrounding LGBTQ plus people um, with the Bible and talking about different interpretations of it and how the the most common um, interpretation that has been used against queer people in the church um, was actually referring to um, like a man sleeping with a child Um, and like somebody who was a pedophile. And so like once I heard that and I did a little bit more research on my own, um, that kind of just made me feel like, I don't know, like uh, affirmed, I guess, or like that I, even though I was past the point of being in the church and thinking that all queer people were going to hell, I think even even that note... um, just helped me feel like I could breathe a little easier. Like it was almost like a weight lifted off of me, like um, that I didn't know was there. I don't believe in a God who is going to damn queer people to hell or I don't know, just for, for people being who they are and loving who they love. Like that just inherently is not sinful to me. I often think of the abandonment that I experienced as a queer person. And I've gone through trauma therapy, EMDR, uh, to address the anger, the shame, the embarrassment, the abandonment. Because I don't want to live with those things in my day-to-day life. I don't want to think about, are my friends going to leave me at any instance because I'm too gay? The church still has huge impacts on my life. I left six years ago, um, but it's still just wages war in my life. Uh, my best friend of 20 years, 
uh, refused to be a groomsman in my wedding after he got, quote, advice that it would look bad for him to be in pictures. Um, from He got advice from his, his church that it would be, look bad to be in pictures at my wedding. Um, my mom insists that my husband and I sleep in separate rooms when we go to their house for um, uh, holidays, even though we're married um, and have been together for five years. Uh, my sister hasn't figured out how to tell her kids uh, that I have a husband uh, because in in Kingdom Kids and in their church, they hear that the way that we live is, quote, evil. Um, and so she doesn't want to risk her kids thinking that I'm going to hell. Um, so ha- have I gotten over my personal traumas of being a member? Pretty much. Um, have I gotten over the trauma of how people treat me, my loved ones treat me as a non-member? No, not at all. Uh, because the blows keep coming. Every time I think it's safe, another one comes. Uh, and it's sad, but that's the, the reality of it. It's, it's exhausting some days. Um, it's terrifying some days. I'm terrified I'm going to lose friendships. I'm terrified... I'm going, people are going to see me, um, as, and, and my pride can come in too, like pride in a not queer way, pride, like, um, they're not going to see me as a strong person anymore. They're not going to see me as an educated person. They're not going to see me as someone who's been around the kingdom for a long time and knows what she's talking about and sort of the clout you gain by being around for a long time. That's gone. Um, and how I'll be treated and talked about in general. I I know I shouldn't worry about that, but when you're around a system for 25 years, it's really hard to not think that that's going to happen. It's hard to not worry about it, um, but I'm working on that um, and getting to know myself. Like There are just so many beautiful, beautiful people out there creating resources for queer people Um, including people who are coming out later in life versus earlier in life. It did affect my relationship whenever I was first getting into a queer relationship, um, just because I, I guess I had not really processed a lot of my, um, trauma surrounding LGBTQ plus issues being talked about in, in the church. Whenever I was little, I had nightmares of hell. And whenever I, I kind of grew out of them, like maybe when I was like 10, 11. Um, And whenever I started the relationship that I'm currently in now, which is with another woman, but um, whenever we kind of were like at the beginning stages of our relationship, my nightmares of hell came back for a little bit and they hadn't been there since I was a kid. And so I think that kind of caused me to spiral and just really have to like grapple with the idea of um like being gay is not a sin like being queer is not a sin like i i can kiss a girl and be okay um and it's just gotten better and easier um with time and like being able to um i guess be open with my partner and and try to talk about um the the things that were said in the church, you know, while I was growing up for 18 years. I've definitely been taking the time slowly, but to heal and to understand myself, 
to just take that time to allow myself to accept love. It was really hard for a few years. I've, I was very depressed. I felt I've had a lot of really low moments. Um, and to be able to climb out of those moments and be a strong, like self-assured individual today, like that means so much to me. I'm so proud of myself and I'm so proud of so many of my friends that I know personally that have had to go through this and had to really find themselves again and find peace within themselves. It's just a crazy thing to be told, even just subliminally, that you're not good enough or that you're wrong just for existing, just for having innate desires. Like, it's just crazy. It, it blows my mind every single day the amount of hatred that the Christian community places on the LGBTQ community when all Christianity does is talk about how they preach love. My experience with the church has definitively altered my brain chemistry, unfortunately. Um, And it's taken... I've been in therapy for, like, a year and a half now. And I am finally just now starting to feel like myself again. Um, It is still really hard for me to trust people, to trust that people are going to stay and that they really genuinely care about me and that they're not going to leave. I think after, you know, 80 to 90% of my close relationships disappeared out of my life almost overnight um, in leaving the church, it was really, really hard for me to trust people again. But again, I found so much joy in the queer relationships that I'm able to have today. I also live my life with just a radical freedom and like understanding and love for myself where I let myself explore what feels right for me. Um, Recently that has meant identifying as non-binary and exploring femininity and like all the beauty of femininity. And I think there's so much creativity and freedom that comes with that. I would argue that I do believe my beliefs are biblical in the sense of, are they affirmed by God? Yes. I think God is affirming of who I am 100%. And I think that if people are in queer relationships, that God is like, I love you. Yay. I'm glad you're living a beautiful queer life. And thank you for loving me back and for knowing me and for investing in me. If you're not sure whether it's time to come out or not to the people around you, there is a pain associated with not living authentically that only increases over time. The longer you have to lie about who you are, the harder it is to exist. There's also a pain of what people might say and do when you come out. Eventually, the pain of living inauthentically will be far worse than the pain of how people will respond to who you are. And once you just can't hold it in anymore, you have to let it out. And the response will be what it is, but you have to live for yourself and do everything you can to keep yourself safe. And don't let anyone hurt you, but be yourself because it's the only true beauty in the world. All God wants is for you to be yourself. That's why he made you. Allow yourself to have some different voices. Look for people who call themselves Christians that are openly queer and living queer. 
and allow yourself just to listen to them. Um, allow yourself to have different influences that are outside of the ICOC or outside of conservative Christianity that are Christian influences, but can teach you so much because you're going to put on a different lens and you're going to learn that there is more than one way to see something. You're going to learn that there's more information than maybe you currently have about some of the scriptures that refer to homosexuality. And I think that we were made to fear that, like it was some sort of magical voodoo that would corrupt our souls, but it's actually very informative and very important to have that information. I know that it is hard to trust yourself in in a place where everyone is telling you, you cannot trust yourself, you cannot trust your feelings, you, can, you, you can't even make a decision for yourself, but... Um, I think that makes it even more important to trust yourself and listen to yourself and loving who you love or being who you are um, is not inherently sinful. And there are so many things that make being a quote unquote good person that is not even related to gender, sexuality. And I think the church would do a lot better to spend more time on those issues. I think the other thing I really want to emphasize is that as much as they like to tell you that the world is scary, that it will mistreat you, and like, and of course, there are people, there are bad people in the world. There's bad people everywhere. There are bad people in the church, but there are also so many amazing, good, and kind people. And it's hard to express just like the sheer joy that I've gotten from queer friendships and queer community and just being surrounded by so many queer people that there's just this radical acceptance and love. The biggest piece of advice that I can give is one that I wish that I had heard sooner. And that is, your identity matters so much. I know how scary it is. I've felt that fear several times over. I know how much easier it seems to just put those thoughts out of your mind. But if there's one thing that's standard across all of the Christian faith, isn't it that God loves us? If you really trust that, it's so much easier to love yourself. I know it seems impossible, but give people the opportunity to fight for you, and the ones that matter will. Who you are is not just important, it's powerful. You may be the last person that someone needs to love to realize that they're being hateful. But more importantly, the world just has so much more for you to see when you see it as yourself. I think also, like, you just, you don't have to hate yourself. Like, you really don't. Like, you can feel good and you can feel celebrated in who you are. The Bible does not say that you can't be gay and be a Christian. People really want to try and make it say that. Unfortunately, they can't. In fact, fortunately, they can't. Um, they're going to try and twist words. They're going to try and use one scripture. It never works. If someone believes that homosexuality is sinful and they're not willing to listen to any other arguments, don't talk to that person. 
it won't get anywhere. And the truth is, it doesn't matter what the Bible says. They believe that homosexuality is disgusting, and they will do whatever they can to prove it. My last piece of advice is to start planning your exit strategy as soon as possible. I hate that I have to say that. I want us to be able to coexist. I tried to make it work. I tried everything that I could to coexist with these people for so much of my life. I gave them so much of my life because I wanted to believe that there would be room for me one day. I did everything I could. I infiltrated the highest <laughs> leadership team of the LGBT ministry and yet still was not able to make a meaningful impact for the sake of queer people. You have to take care of yourself. And I don't believe that anti-gay Christians will ever take care of you. Even when you think it feels like it, what you can find out there in the world beyond Christianity, in the world of queer people who love you and accept you and allow you to try things and allow you to make mistakes, and you don't have to explain your mistakes. You don't have to show that you're learning from it. You can just have fun and be happy and enjoy the world. That's where you need to go. Go there and you will be so fulfilled in life in so, so many ways. It's okay. <laughs> Take a breath. It's okay to cry. It's okay to be confused. It's okay in you know, those hard moments to feel the tension and to know that it's not going to be like that forever. That things will make sense as long as you allow your, say, uh, yourself the space to grow and you allow yourself the space to ask yourself questions. To church leaders who hold anti-LGBTQ plus beliefs and attitudes, I just want them to know that their ideology is actively harming the youth in their church um, and just everyone in their church, but especially the kids who grow up in the church and don't really have a choice in, in coming every Sunday. And even the, the the kids that are growing up that, you know, they, they think are straight, like statistically, there's definitely queer kids in the church that are being harmed by their ideology and um, not even to talk about the people outside of the church that are being harmed by their ideology, but you cannot preach love and damn people to hell for being who they are. Um, and that's just how I think about it. You know, there are so many people that I think don't know any better. Some that um, are more curious and learning and open to learning, um, but they're doing that secretly. There are some that are very blatantly not learners. They feel like they've got it figured out and they feel very confident to say that, you know, People like me do not have it figured out or that we've been deceived or we've compromised. And I think those kinds of words are manipulative and judgmental and arrogant because God is really, really big and loving. I would love to um, see leaders change how they hold their anti-LGBTQ beliefs. I think I would love to see leaders hold these beliefs with more civility, with less dehumanizing. But I believe their beliefs and attitudes can be far more civil 
And I would, I would really like to see that change in the future. Um, because a non-affirming church, I don't think can really be a safe place for someone that's queer and living a queer life. But I do think that it can be far less violent and it can be far less uncomfortable. I know of disciples whose kids are queer and they don't even feel comfortable coming to church because they're not going to feel loved and they're not going to feel accepted and they're not going to feel wanted. And that is a culture that will take time to change, but it will take leadership that's intentional in order for that to change. And it won't, and I'm not just talking about like a six week class on how we can be more loving to the LGBTQ community. A culture change is something that's intentional. And I think if I see the example of our church calling out evangelism, calling out um, people being at church, when they think something needs to change, they do a really good job of working that into sermons, working that into Bible talks, working that into fellowship. They know how to go about doing something to get what they want. If you hold these beliefs, if you believe that being queer and being out and being proud and experiencing loving relationships is wrong, you are homophobic. There is no getting around that. You are you pro- want to believe that you are so different from the screaming bigots who are yelling slurs and spewing hateful rhetoric at queer people, but the harm you cause is just as bad, if not worse. Because you are teaching children to hate themselves. You are teaching children that who they are, what they are, what they experience is wrong. You are teaching them that it is sinful and wrong to love themselves. And all of the pain and all of the hardship and all of the trauma that you've heard throughout this whole episode, you are complicit in it. You are a direct cause of it. And I know a lot of you are going to be doing running through hoops in your mind and running through the whole gambit of logic of why you're not actually homophobic and that you're so loving and that you're just doing what the Bible says. But the impact of what you say, of what you believe, um, of what we know is how we are made to feel cannot be denied. Like I said before, I don't believe that there's any point in saying anything to someone who believes that homosexuality is inherently bad, because I don't believe that they'll listen. But if there is somebody out there listening who is starting to challenge their beliefs, what I would say is that, as wise as I'm sure you are, if you are a leader, I believe you're wise, it takes wisdom and kindness and love you have to understand people are different than you. They just are, and your experience is going to be so incredibly different from others in the world. You can't use your experience to dictate what somebody else's life looks like. You can only listen to them and be compassionate. Um, Strength and weakness is not the answer you think it is. Um, Conversion therapy by any other name causes just as much harm. Uh, that's, That's just reality. And the second thing I would say is um, your kids are gay, your kids are trans, your kids are queer, uh, and they will never um, see the love and forgiveness of Jesus if y'all keep acting the way that you're acting. But don't hide behind this idea of unconditional love. Don't hide 
um, behind the Bible and make excuses because you are homophobic and you are causing real, real harm to children and to many, many people that they will feel throughout their entire lives. And I hope that someone can be spared from that by the message that I'm sharing today. I would like to say that in the LGBTQIA community, there is a high level of suicide and mental illness, uh, high rates of suicide and mental illness that I really want church leaders and members to question their beliefs because if the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. And then when we look into 1 Corinthians, right, we look at what is love? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It keeps no records of wrong. Go back to those beliefs of what is love. And ask yourself, are you loving the community? Because loving the community is not controlling. It is not telling people they are wrong. It is sitting there. It is listening. And it is understanding that there is a lot of different interpretations of the Bible. And that scripture can mean different things. And to really question those things. Because my biggest question to the church is, how is loving people wrong, you know, and is the depression, is the, uh, is the fruits of your anti-LGBTQIA beliefs something God would want? And just the very last thing that I want to share before I close out is that being queer is joyful. Queer love is beautiful and it is incredible. And I am so grateful that I get to experience it, um, in this life and in this world. I have absolutely no regrets from leaving this church, and I would make that same decision time and time again without fail. To those in the church who still consider me condemned, I just want to leave you with some scripture from Proverbs 3. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. I know you won't believe me, or you'll think it's fleeting, or you'll think it's worldly, but all you can do is imagine. All you can do is explain away my happiness. But that's okay. In the end, I'm the only one who can know for certain that I am more refreshed now than I have ever been. I have more peace, I have stronger love, deeper passion, and closer friends. For my whole life, 
I've been promised peace, and now I have it. Because even if you'll never believe me, I know that this is the peace that I've been promised, and I can't think of anything that would convince me otherwise. To anyone who feels like they can't be themselves, or fully love themselves in their current community, we just wanted to say we stand by you and we love you. You're not alone, you're not a problem, you're not a sickness or a mistake, and if you're confused, we hope you find peace and clarity. And if you feel unsafe, we hope you find safety. We're going to be linking a lot of resources, like I said. Please free to check all that out. We'll talk about this later, but we at Space Makers are definitely not experts or anywhere near the end-all be-all in terms of queer issues. So that's why we're pushing you to hear from actual members of the LGBTQIA community that are doing the work and educating people. The next episode will be Sebastian telling you his story and doing a deep dive on his journey and his beliefs on this topic. Then we will have an episode about biblical arguments around this topic, and then we'll finish it off with Space Makers discussing, letting you guys know where we stand and answering some of your questions. Our plan is to release an episode every weekend of Pride Month, so follow along on our social media, Space Makers Podcast on Instagram, and check out our website, spacemakerspodcast.com. And as always, thank you so much for coming to our space.